As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. And I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. And welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. It's Wednesday, which means we'll be joined by writers from The Athletic to focus on some of the great work they've been doing on the site. Today, Everton correspondent Paddy Boyland, Burnley writer Andy Jones and Leeds' own Phil Hay are all on the show as we focus on what is already one of the most fascinating relegation battles in recent years. And then, brilliant from Jordan Pickford... What a fantastic save! At the air, now Rafinha tries a shot, scores! Fall for Vidra, Brownell, Valerie, Josh Brownell's got it! Oh, what a big goal that could be in Burnley's season! Dan, I would say we're probably in a bit of a luxury position because both of our teams are sort of on the beach at the moment. QPR missed out on the playoffs. Their manager is leaving, which isn't great news, but all in all, they've got one game left of the season and then a big summer ahead, but don't need to worry about the stress and the nail-biting last day of the season things, which I've had in the past. I feel like Villa are in a similar position as well. I don't feel 100% there. I'm 95% of the way there. I don't think there's enough games, but the Athletic did like a relegation round table chat last week and Villa were included in it. And all that's did that happened make since, you nervous? Not nervous, but all that's happened since is every team's won won their games. So mm. essentially nothing's changed. It's just another game down. Villa have got to play Burnley twice still, which is a bit of a unique situation because of COVID postponements earlier on in the season. So I've, I'm not a hundred percent that Villa are safe, but I'm glad to not be heavily involved in this chat this week because potentially, you know, we could be welcoming Greg Evans on here or I could be talking about Villa and it'd be a serious, serious problem. But I think we're okay, but I'm not 100% there. I mean, I feel like the, the season is coming to an end at the right time for Villa. They they kind of need a summer of pre-season with, with Gerard to regroup and really establish what they're going to be going towards and what they're going to be aiming for because they're kind of drifting a little bit at the moment aren't they can't really build any form can't really build any consistency but trailing out a bit this season I was at a Tyra Mings event probably a month or so ago now and we were sitting around mid-table which essentially Villa could still end up finishing ninth that it's very tight at the bottom Villa could finish anywhere between ninth and probably 15th 16th 
at the moment. And he was just saying, when you're that kind of team, you'll win a few games in a row. You'll lose a few games in a row. No one wants to be in that position, but that's where we're at. There's obviously the top two. Then there's probably third to sixth or seventh who are a pretty even keel. Then there's eighth downwards, Wolves, who are a bit on on their own. And then after that, I don't think there's much between ninth and teams like Burnley and Everton, really. It's just a, it's been a strange season all round. Yeah, it's not really the best of the rest, but really kind of like the worst of the worst. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, let's let's get into it then. Uh, our reporters from Everton, Leeds United and Burnley. Right, I'm going to come round you one by one and just give me a paragraph. On how did you, how did you get here, Phil? I'll come to you first because I think Leeds are the highest. Kind of felt like Leeds were potentially out of it a couple of weeks ago, but they've suddenly been sucked back in. How did Leeds get here? Do I only get a paragraph on this? I, <laughs> yeah, just to start. Just I, could, to start. I could do with a page or a, or a book. Um, multiple factors. So to be quick, um, very small squad, which has been badly affected by injuries. Um, tactically, hasn't worked and didn't work for Bielsa in the same way as it did in his first three seasons. Um, Transfer-wise, in my view, haven't done enough to the squad. Didn't sign anybody in January when they needed to. Um, With hindsight, did less last summer than they needed to as well. And it has all um, accumulated into a massive pressure, which is right on them now more severely, I think, than it's been at any other stage this season. Andy, resurgent Burnley? Um, Well, yeah, like a bit like Phil, number of factors. Um, A lack of recruitment over a number of years, coupled with an ageing squad that was sort of that this season felt like it might be one step too far. Um, and then a managerial change, which has just sort of rejuvenated everybody inside the club. Um, and that's been shown in the sort of the four results that have occurred since Sean Dice left and, and Mike Jackson has, has taken over. And Paddy, finally you, Everton. A decent win at the weekend, let, let's say, against Chelsea. You're feeling a lot better than potentially you could have been. Yeah, good result on Sunday. Much needed because the gap was five points heading into that game. But overall, I think how did Everton get here? Poor recruitment since 2016, more or less. Uh, lots of expensive flops, muddled strategy and competing visions, I think, from those at the top. Probably best summarised by Marcel Brands the director of football leaving in December, talking about a difference in vision for the future of the club. I think he wants to go down one path. The ownership wants to go down another. Uh, A divisive managerial choice over the summer, which didn't work. A a toxic atmosphere in the stands and in the dressing room towards the end of Benitez's time. Um, A very strange managerial recruitment process for the next manager. Uh, Ending up with Frank Lampard, resurgent at home since then but I think he was slow to learn lessons particularly on the road Uh, very naive early doors against Tottenham and Crystal Palace in particular but no signs after kind of an improvement in recent weeks that he is becoming more pragmatic that he is now starting to learn lessons and that gives them a fighting chance finally of avoiding the drop. One of the interesting things at Leeds is that, unlike what Paddy's saying about Everton, it, it really hasn't been toxic over here at all. There was a really bad night against Aston Villa, which was Jesse Marsh's first home game after replacing Bielsa. And there was a big loss of patience that night. The team played poorly. Um, the kind of frustration about recruitment and, and also Bielsa going that was felt by a lot of supporters, kind of directed at the at the board um, who were in the, in the director's box. But the dressing room has been really tight. The crowd 
I, at Ellen Road, I think, have been uber supportive of the team this season. I mean, more so in any year than I can I can remember, really. You know, I've really stuck with it. And I think you saw that particularly on Sunday, the feeling that if everybody throws the tail in here, then they are going to go. You know, and, and it's a case of you either stick with this side by side or, or you accept what's coming. So it's, it's kind of different, very different environment here, I think, and, and kind of different landscape in the sense that there hasn't been much disharmony. It, it just hasn't worked. Yeah, just to qualify that, I think one of the things that actually unites Leeds, Everton and Burnley at the moment, apart from them all being relatively decent form, certainly heading into the weekend, is just the fact that I think the fans now are fully behind the side. There's almost been a, a kind of a galvanising effect at, at one point or another. Yeah. See Marsh coming in at, at Leeds, Sean Dyche curiously having the same effect at, at Burnley. And then for Everton, even though Lampard's initial results weren't great, I think one of the things we saw on Sunday with the scenes before the game and, and fans welcoming the, the team bus was the extent to which they are looking to do the same with Everton. They are looking to galvanise, drag the team through the, 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 the mess they're in and out of the, out of the relegation zone. Um, and, and that's been the curious thing, really. We've, uh, we wrote a piece last week on Frank Lampard and it was kind of vaguely positive without being too positive. Um, and, and certainly one of the things that we had back was, well, what, why are you positive about this guy? And I said, well, purely and simply, he's not Rafael Benitez. The fans actually like him. The, the players on the whole like him. And I think that, that means that the, the, the support is more with Everton than than ever before, and there's there's an acknowledgement that that kind of everybody does need to bandy together to get through this situation. That 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 maybe that might just be the the final inch over the line if 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 needs be. Um, so so yeah, I think that's the thing that unites them all. And I have to be honest, like everybody's picking up wins at the moment. So. Yeah, I was going to say that. I was going to say I can point to more reasons why I think all three of you might stay up than I can as why you'll go down. But obviously, one of you has to go. Yeah, well, I was, I was a few weeks ago. I was kind of the of the opinion that thirty five points would be enough, particularly based on what Burnley were doing before Dyche was sacked. But now, I mean, all all sides are, are, are nudging up, and it's almost got to the point where some people are even dragging Southampton into the conversation on on forty points. I, I, I actually think, and maybe I, maybe Villa, maybe no, Villa. Let's not go too overboard. Uh, Andy, I wanted to ask you because it was Paddy touched on it there. And 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 um, you know we've been talking about the the feelings in the fan base. What was the feelings like? Because we haven't had a chance to catch up with you, really. What were the feelings like in the fan base when Dyche was sacked, and what are they like now? I mean, did anyone see this kind of turnaround coming apart from those at, in the hierarchy? I don't. I don't think so. It, I mean, it was such a it was such a weird day when he got sacked, and that it was sort of difficult to properly process. And it's still. And even on on the Sunday when they played against West Ham, it was still why where's Sean Dyson? Why is he sort of in the on the touchline doing his usual his stuff? Because it was just sort of it did come out of the blue. There wasn't sort of that those those whispers and murmurs like over a number of weeks, which sort of you you might sort of hear. It was very much Friday morning. Everyone was very shocked. I mean, the the number of players you've come out and said. And, and from speaking to people, you know, at, inside the club and around the club, we were sort of what on because it just didn't really make much sense to to change so late when you had they did have a three week window before the the City Everton Norwich week, um, you know, where the if you were going to make a change, or you're thinking we're going to make a change, that would have made so much more sense to do it then. You could have looked, brought a new manager in, 
um, giving them a bit of time to work with the team where the dish manager, well, whatever they were going to do, they were going to have a very short amount of time with a three-game week as well. Um, it was weird. The fan base, it was a strange one because there had been a growing sort of frustration, I think, with Dice in, in terms of the team, like team selection and the play style. And it was always going to be, it's always, Burnley's play style is one of those when, when it's winning, it's great because it annoys opposition. And, you know, if, if it's effective and, and you are getting points, then who, who cares how you play really? Whereas when it's going wrong and it's obviously going wrong, um, and you aren't winning and they haven't won many games until this managerial change. It can be frustration. It was probably the highest of sort of that dice out while still being a minority. There was a feeling. And then from speaking to people, you got the sense that those feelings kind of were in the dressing room, just into not, not, not necessarily, you know, revolting to get him out the door, but there was a, I think there was a sense that things had gone a bit stale understandably given he was there for nine and a half years and a lot of these players have played under him for you know three four five years um and there was a feeling that if something didn't change then he was sort of just walking towards that relegation and and you can see that from from what's happened since the group have been galvanized that the sort of the, the mentality has, has been you know really good evidenced by the the comeback against Wofford which you look at that and go would they have done that under dice and it was a it was a very similar game to the two 0 defeat at Norwich when it was you know they one 0 down early looked like if they got one they'd get two but they didn't and then they would lose the game two 0 and it was very much that similar feel against Watford this time however they get one they do get two and they go and win and win the game and it's just been that sort of a lot of players have referenced that freedom and they do look like they're playing more from foot they're enjoying themselves more and that has to it's it's obviously had an effect and, and why results have picked up. It, it seems mad what what's happened at Burnley, and I know Andy. We've had this conversation away, away from recording. It was almost so mad that it was almost likely to work for Burnley because f- football's weird and strange like that. Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what happened at Everton after Marco Silva left. So that's twenty nineteen. Silva leaves, results are really poor, and a Duncan Ferguson's installed as a as a temporary manager. Now the difference in style there is dramatic. Everything, particularly on the training ground with Silver, everything had to be drilled. Everything was done to the nth degree. And by the end, the players' heads were just scrambled. They were, they were so clouded by what they were doing that whatever followed, if it wasn't that was going to succeed, even if it was basic. And Duncan Ferguson came in, it was 4-4-2 and win your 50-50s and very, very basic style of football. But the players welcomed that. That's what the players actually needed in that moment. Uh, part of the reason why it didn't work this time when Rafa Benitez was sacked and Ferguson got the job was because Benitez was doing that kind of style himself. It was a basic, I mean, at times primitive approach, in, in my opinion, um, particularly towards the end. So uh, I, I'm not surprised that it's worked for Burnley. And I'm not just saying that in hindsight. I just think sometimes it just does need renewal uh, and, and players go past the point of return. And, and we're seeing actually that they've got a lot of good players, people like Dwight McNeil, yeah. that just wasn't featuring them. From the outside, I, I, when I rocked up at, at Turf Moor last month, I was thinking, I'm delighted Dwight McNeil's not, not playing here because he's one of the few you expect to come inside on his left foot and, and create. And, and that's what we've seen. We've seen these, be- these Burnley players are much better than they showed towards the end of Dyche's tenure. Just quickly to, to bring Phil back in, because I would actually say out of all the appointments, you know, Burnley and Everton, a bit scattergun really. Whereas I'd say Leeds, what they did when they got rid of Bielsa, I don't, I don't think they had a choice at that time of the, to get rid of Bielsa, in my personal opinion. 
what they did was quite measured. They knew what they were doing. They sat to manager. They had someone lined up that was probably going to come in next season anyway, and, and they got their man in. So I would say Leeds have actually worked in the in the most measured way. But I'm now looking at it and kind of thinking they might be the ones that are in the most trouble. Uh, well, I don't think they've been in more trouble this season, and it's strange yeah, to say time. that. But yeah, because it is, the form under Marsh has, has been good. You know, it was it was three wins and two draws going into the the game at the weekend. Um, and, and the odd thing about them is that there's been more than been more than one occasion this season where it's looked as if Leeds have basically been out of the woods. You know, have been mm. just about far enough clear that they're going to be okay. And and suddenly with four games to go, they they look in more danger than ever. Um, and actually, I think at, at the moment, minus momentum from the weekend, probably looking in more danger than, than Burnley and Everton. I certainly get that yeah. sense around the, the city. You're right about Marsh. I mean, him and the director of football at Leeds, Victor Orta, had known each other for a couple of years. And he certainly was on the list of, of people who potentially would have come in in the summer had Bielsa made it that far and, and had they not renewed Bielsa's contract, which I think increasingly looked like it, it wouldn't happen. Um, and without any doubt, Marsh was top of the list. So it, it was a, an appointment that had been thought about and it wasn't one that, that they just jumped upon. And as far as Bielsa was concerned, th- there was a lot of resistance to that decision amongst the fan base. But I think at the same time, people could see that the that tactically, the team were as vulnerable as they'd been at any stage under him. They were losing games. They were losing games heavily. It was hard to argue with the, with, you know, the, the feeling that a change was needed. It, but at the same time, Bielsa had so much credit in the bank and is so well thought of in Leeds that nobody really wanted to get to the stage where it was a case of, of saying cheerio to him. I'm with you. I, I kind of felt at that point that they, they needed to do something, that, that something did need to change with them. And even going back to the Watford game recently, Leeds won 3-0 down there. I came away from that thinking that has probably given them the breathing space that they need. Um, but Marsh said after that game, look, we don't have a game for a fortnight now. And when we play next, the table will be tighter. You know, it will have closed up. I think it had probably closed up in a way that even he didn't expect. Um, and it, it is now, you know, it is extremely on the edge now and, and very hard to call. Andy, one of the things as well that's, that's still to be decided is who is going to be the next permanent manager. Forgetting survival, which Jackson's obviously done a terrific job to to put himself in the position. I think he told Gary Lineker on match a day that he hasn't even thought about it at all, which I think is just not true. Um, but, uh, I mean, what is it looking like? Is it looking like he's got a good chance of securing the permanent gig? I think even, even with what he's done, I'd be surprised. Um, just but well, I mean, it, there's still a long way to go here, and and if he, you know, there's still a good, you know, there's still a decent chance that Burnley do end up going down, and and that will change everything again. I mean, initially Burnley's plan was just to sort of have Jackson in charge very, very briefly, and the plan was to an appoint to appoint an interim manager until the end of the season, and then look at sort of more candidates for the longer term in the summer. Um, but they they sacked Dice to try and keep themselves in the Premier League, which obviously you know puts them in a better in a better frame to go out and, and try and bring bring bigger manager name, managerial names in, etc. Um that's obviously changed and now the sort of with the way it's gone under Jackson, how well it's gone, there's there's no real point of changing it at the moment. It's a bit strange that the club haven't just named them until the end of the season. Um it, they've they've decided as to just still take it game by game, but it just seems a bit weird that if say they lost to Aston Villa or it didn't go right that they were just gonna then bring somebody in for three games, it sort of would be a bit bizarre um but yeah no so it looks like it's going to be jackson until the end of the season and i i, I think it, it, i would still be very surprised i mean th- there is a world i guess given how well he's done and if this continues and he keeps them up 
where you know that he may come in the, under consideration. But um, you know, Alan Pace currently is, is sort of there's a plenty of names under consideration. Um, we reported Vincent Company and Angela Knutson um, from Bodo Glimp and, and Anderlecht um, are two that are being considered, and that they're sort of in the process of drawing up that final shortlist of who they're going to go after. Um, and I guess that that will also be very heavily dependent on who will be or what league they're going to be in because you're going to be able to attract a different calibre of manager, I guess, if you're still in the Premier League compared to the Championship. So it's still an ongoing process if if Jackson does the, the unthinkable. And, and certainly the fans have, have, have taken a liking to him. He's, he's got his own song already. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's that rapport there that he's built and the players seem to enjoy playing under him. So, you know, maybe there is a world where, where he does you know, become the new manager, but I would be very, very surprised at this stage if that was to be the case. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. Still to come, we're going to look at the run-in and also chat to the guys about some key players who might be able to secure their team's survival. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The next three games are obviously massive. Phil Leeds' next three are Arsenal away, Chelsea home, and then a bit of a resurgent Brighton at home. Those next two in particular, yeah, all three of them, they don't look great. No, and, and City at the weekend as well. It, it was kind of unfortunate one. for Leeds that at the point where they, they really needed to close this out, they, they've hit a run of, of City, Arsenal, and, and rearranged game against Chelsea back-to-back. I think... The hope with the Chelsea game will be that all eyes for them will be on the FA Cup final at the weekend. And, and you know, as, as the league stands, there's very little left for them to, to compete for now. They're going to finish top four. And you would assume that, that Tuchel will will weaken his team slightly and, and will obviously prioritise the, the game at the weekend. Um, but Arsenal have, have plenty to play for. They're still in, in, that, yeah. in that scrap for, for fourth place. And yeah, I mean, Brighton... Brighton went through that period earlier in the season where form seemed to desert them a bit, and and that was the time to to play them. But you know that the different team now they've they managed to pick it up again, and there's no pressure on them. And and I've seen it a couple of times this season. I think particularly with that game at home to Aston Villa that that Marsh lost heavily, but also Crystal Palace away that. These teams now know that they're staying up. They they know that there's no risk to them, and and you can see the comparative freedom in their football in comparison to to teams like Leeds who who have it all on their shoulders and and who really are up against it. We we've kind of been 
joking gallows humour all season that it, it might well be Brent for the way on the last day that, that decides it. And and I have to say that up until recently, I didn't actually feel that that would be the case. I thought Leeds would, would get it done before then. But I'm finding it hard to think now that we won't get to the final weekend with, with plenty to play for. Yeah, Andy Burnley, a Spurs sandwich here. Villa at home, Spurs away, and then Villa away due to, due to COVID postponements. So Villa, Villa twice, who... That, that concerns me a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie with it because I think if you were to beat Villa twice, you'd be on this, potentially on the same points yeah. as, as Villa. But Spurs away is a bit of an unkind one, but you'll be, you'll be looking at the Villa two Villa games as winnable. Exactly. And it, it feels like the Villa Villa game at home is, is almost a must win to sort of give them that breathing room to, to go to Tottenham, who are obviously chasing Champions League football themselves with Arsenal and, and seem to be you know coming into you know decent form. Um, as as that fa- for that final push, um, and it, yeah, but Villa, Villa, you look at both games, we and you could see, especially the way Burnley are playing at the moment, and the opposition that they've beaten recently, um, you can see them finding a way to sort of. I mean, you take four points right now, you know, you snap your hand off for them, um, but it does feel like it, it feels like that Villa game at home is going to sort of set the tone. If they can win again, that'd be four on the bounce, which would be incredible. Um, mm. And then you sort of go, you can then go into the Spurs game with sort of a bit more of a, I guess, free mentality and it sort of see it a bit more as a free it in that, you know, nobody expects you to beat them. If you if you don't get the results against Villa at home, suddenly you, you go to Spurs probably needing to get, you know, something. Um, and that puts a lot of pressure on that game and a game that, you know, gen- generally Burnley, you know, haven't done particularly well away at Spurs. Um, still scarred by uh, Hong Min Sun's goal from his own box from a couple of years ago. Um, so, and then then you go into the Villa away game, which, you know, it's a, it's a difficult game. It'll be a challenge it's, and, and there'll be a lot riding on that. And you feel like Burnley will want, you know, to, to be in a position where they can put themselves in the drive in, in the drive and see going into that final day. Um, but I feel like the Villa game at home really will set the tone for, for how these, these next three are going to look because not easy and, and there is that you can see a world equally where they don't pick up sort of any points or they don't pick up any wins and then suddenly you know they're in they're in serious trouble again i don't live in that world Andy. i think you'll definitely get <laughs> at least one point and finally Ever- everton's fixtures paddy probably on paper pretty kind fixtures i would say leicester away obviously they've got the europa conference league that they're focused on at the moment watford away as good as down currently and then brentford at home but i guess the issue is Everton have been awful away all season. Yeah, the, the worst team in the league, statistically, away from home this season. Worse even than Norwich, which is obviously quite an achievement for a group of players that really is. Uh, where you've got kind of Richarlison and Ducore and Calvert-Lewin and all, all kind of established internationals. That's the thing that slightly concerns me. If it goes down to the final day of the season, it's Arsenal away and Everton's record at Highbury and, and, and since at the... The Emirates has not been good at all. Um, so they'll want to be in the box seat before then. They'll want to have their future secure before then. To do that, they're probably going to need to pick something up from one of the next two away games, which is obviously easier said than done, given how they performed this season. The, the, the last win away from home was August against Brighton. And the last point away from home was under Rafa Benitez. Uh, and that was in December against Chelsea in a game where they were absolutely thrashed in terms of chances and possession and everything else, but somehow just managed to squeak a, squeak a point. Um, so that's the negative. The positive is that Goodison has become or is starting to become a real fortress again. 
victories over Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United in in recent in recent months. A draw against Leicester with with just about the the last kick of the game when they almost it, it felt like they were beaten, but somehow managed to salvage something. Um, and if they get through the next couple with a, a decent points tally and still kind of there or thereabouts with, with Burnley and Leeds, then they have Brentford and Palace in the space of three to four days, both at Goodison. Um, the Palace one in particular is a night game, which when Goodison for me is at its absolute best. Yeah, sure. Um, and Brentford, that could go either way, I guess, because by that point they should be safe and will have nothing to play for. So does that work into Everton's hands or not? I'm, I'm not entirely sure. So It's a mixed bag. It feels like Everton have, have already gone through the trickiest spell of games on paper. It, it looked horrific after, after the uh, defeat to Burnley. Andy will know this as well, but walking back into the press box, at Turf, uh, into the media lounge, I should say, at Turf Moor after that game, it did feel as though Everton had been relegated already that day. That, that was pretty much the feeling from, from everybody associated to the club. Um, but they have picked up dramatically since then, even... The defeat recently was was against Liverpool in the Merseyside derby. I think a few things could have gone their way, and it might have been a different outcome. Um, but um, yeah, let's let's see. It, it, I think it, it, it's going to require a solid foundation of of wins at Goodison, and then the odd smattering away away from home. They are capable of doing that, but we've said that for much of this season that this Everton squad shouldn't be where it is in in the table. Um, but they now have to prove that they now have to pull clear and get the results to, to, to uh, I suppose, make themselves safe. And there are some important players who are not only going to be crucial to each of these teams' survival, but also there is uncertainty about their future going forward. Paddy, I mean, you mentioned the the squad being good enough. Jordan Pickford paid probably the best ever game he's had in Everton shirt at the weekend. Um, Richarlison was pivotal as well. He's he's become a um, bit of a talismanic figure, I think, the last couple of weeks, especially that picture of him with the flare is iconic. Um, I mean, what about their... Is he going to get banned? Well, it's not... They're looking at it. It could be bad. Um, obviously, I do not condone that, that kind of behaviour. But it's an iconic picture. I, I can't lie. Yeah, I mean, what is going to happen with the future of some of that squad? That is too good to be in that position. Do you think the the buy-in with Frank is enough that some that some of this squad are going to stick around? Or do you think there are players who are already eyeing up a move, even if they secure survival? I think all better off until the summer. And that's basically right the way across the board when it comes to Everton right now. That's under-23, the most promising under-23s players signing contracts. That's Richarlison's future, Pickford... Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I mean, you have to surmise that if you're Jordan Pickford in a World Cup year, you're not going to want to be playing away at Rotherham on a Tuesday night. That That's not going to help you, your England chances before a trip to Qatar. Uh, ditto Richarlison. But then the other side of this is that the, as Brazil's number nine, want to be playing for a side that finishes 17th year on year anyway. I mean, is that the extent of Richarlison's ambition? I'd almost be disappointed if it is, by the way, because I think he's such a good player. He's so talented. He's got, he's got so much to give that he should be playing in a team with aspirations of at least of qualifying for Europe. Uh, just to address the, the the issue with the flair, I mean, that is under investigation. The, the FA are looking at that currently. The latest that we've had is that we don't expect anything imminent. We don't expect any news on that imminently. Uh, but certainly kind of initial indications are that kind of 
parties close to the player are confident that he, he is going to escape sanction. So let's let's just wait. Or, or should I say a ban, a, a severe sanction? That would be a disaster if he were to be banned because I think, like you right, like you rightly said, he is Everton's talisman. Um, in the game against Burnley at Turf Moor, he was just about the only one of them that stuck his head above the parapet. He was driving Everton on at every opportunity. And since then, he's just got better and better. Um, and it, it was really interesting. Last week, Mark Carey, one of our data guys, obviously he did a piece on the value of a goal. And Richarlison was right at the top for a game state altering goals. So he, he's basically the one that takes the ball by the horns when it comes to Everton. Calvert-Lewin's been injured for most of the season. He's another one of those players, probably with Yerry Mina at centre-back, who you think if, if he'd been, been fit for even half of the games, two-thirds of the games, Everton wouldn't be here. They're so important to the side's hopes. Calvert-Lewin is a focal point. Mina is a leader at the back. That they would have had enough to, to, to probably be lower mid-table had everyone been fit. But, but Everton's injury record has been the worst in the league this season. It's, it's right, right up there with Leeds. And I think more in instances per 90 than, than Leeds so far this season. So I find, I find that almost impossible to believe. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure Phil's got something to say about that. <laughs> injury, the, the prize for worst injuries of the season is a com- com- competitive one on this podcast, isn't it, Phil? Yeah, well, another one for Stuart Dallas um, at the weekend. And when I say mm. another one, I mean another one for Leeds. I mean, Dallas was on a run of 121 starts from 122 league games and he's been the one player at Leeds who has kind of looked unbreakable and, and indestructible. But I guess in this season, it's catching up with everybody eventually. And it's a, a really nasty one for him. He's he's fractured his femur, which is an extremely unusual injury um, in football. And, and you know, very few physios, medical people come across that in this sport. And he'll be looking at a really long stretch. I mean, we haven't been given a timescale for that yet, but I think if he's if he's back this side of Christmas, he'll, he'll be doing pretty well with that. I mean, similar situation for Leeds. Um, in in that if if they go down, they are badly exposed when it comes to players they might lose. They they've got Calvin Phillips, they've got Rafinha. It's a World Cup year. Rafinha has broken into the Brazil squad and, and has been excellent for them. Um, Calvin Phillips has been injured for a lot of the season, so hasn't played too much for England recently. But obviously, was part of the team right the way through the the Euros, um, all the way to the final, and I think would would certainly be in the squad for for Qatar. And and there's no argument really to be made that, that either of them should or, or would be sticking around in the championship and, and I think you can probably say the same about others like Elamelier there would be big question marks over over them so th- there is an awful lot at stake um, I mean even beyond that at Leeds they, they've got big plans for stadium redevelopment they've got a season ticket waiting list of, of 20,000 it's hard to see how all that holds up if they're not in the Premier League because it, it, the Premier League is what drives those sort of things. It's what gives you the money and, and gives you the scope to make the stadium bigger. It's what makes 20,000 people want to to get on board with season tickets that, that currently aren't available. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's a very, very big four weeks, three, four weeks for Leeds. And I, I think as well, ultimately, aesthetically, the risk they stand now is that it's going to look as if the the work that was done under Bielsa and the massive progress that was made in those three years has gone up in smoke if they don't stay up. Phil makes an interesting point about the consequences of relegation, but particularly from a financial standing. I actually think the big discussion point and the, the, the big make or break thing for Everton if they were to go down would not be what happens to Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, Pickford, etc. There would be willing buyers for them whatever division they're playing in and probably even more so if they're in the championship because clubs would set uh, sniff a bargain. 
The problem Everton will have is that I think they've got the eighth highest wage bill in the Premier League at the moment. Well, that's just absolutely not sustainable, even with parachute payments in the in the Championship. So you, you would have to shed a load of not your top earners, but players below that. So let's say, for example, Yerry Mina, who's injury prone, Mason Holgate, um, Andre Gomez, who who's on a, a sizable whack after coming in from Barcelona, but very rarely features. And everybody knows he's he, he's picked up kind of serious injuries over the last few years. They're, you kind of, they're the ones that I, I slightly worry about with Everton. Um, anyone will take Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and anyone will take Richarlison. But what happens to an Andre Gomez if he's in the Championship? And equally then, the knock-on of that is, what happens to Everton if they can't get rid of those guys? But you have to find buyers and you have to buy people find people willing to take the wages on Everton's almost become a destination for players that will get their best ever contract at Goodison because players don't want to move either do they that's the problem if you go down those players aren't going to get a better contract elsewhere I saw this with Villa when Villa went down you get stuck with high earners that you can't shift yeah and and, and that's that's been a trend for quite a while certainly since Farhad Mashiri came in as, as, as kind of majority shareholder in 2016. I mean, even now you've got somebody like Cenk Tosin on a, on a decent sum of money who is just running down his contract uh, with a view to, to leaving as a free agent over the summer. When they've had to get people off the books to, compi- to comply with FFP, it's been Bernard to uh, the Middle East or James Rodriguez again to the Middle East because quite simply no club in Europe who's at all sensible, would pay them the wages they're on at Everton. And like I say, that these guys are paid far more at Everton than they would be elsewhere. And that, that's that's the concern. It's not Calvert-Lewin or Richarlison, but it's a Gomez or maybe not Yerry Mina, but people like him who are injury prone. So um, that's why it's so important Everton stay up this year, because then they can look after this shock, after this scare, then they can look at something more sustainable for the future, where maybe they look to it, to instill more relegation clauses into contracts. But see, my, my understanding at Leeds is that they're pretty well covered for that. Um, and because they're fairly newly promoted, a lot of the contracts are covered by relegation provisions, which, you know, a sensible club would do. But Everton, having been at that level for so long, and, and also having probably never thought of themselves as, as relegation fodder, I, I would wonder and question without knowing how many of the contracts, player contracts over there, include provisions to reduce wages? Yeah, if that's if what I was down. thinking as well, actually, or even a release clauses, which lots of Leeds contracts may have in them when the new players signed. Like Phil, I was going to ask you, Rafinha. Well, you know, obviously a, a standout player. It's been a tough couple of months for him, but there were already conversations, I think, in January about what was going to happen to him. Where are they now with with his future? Well, if you go back to January, there was a lot of optimism that they were pretty close to, to getting things done with Rafinha. Um, in his current contract, there's no um, buyout clause in the Premier League, but from what we're told, there would be one if Leeds go down in, in this existing deal. Had he signed the new contract, and if he was to get around to signing a new contract at any stage further down the line, there would be a release clause in it. That would be the point of, of discussion. It, it kind of works for both sides. Leeds would want it as high as possible. Rafinha would obviously want it as low as possible. Um, but it means that Rafinha can get a move if he really wants a move. It means that Leeds are, are guaranteed a certain amount of money. I think, like I said, it, it's... 
it's actually there's been a lot of talk about Barcelona and Rafinha and and Barcelona's agent Deco is very very tight links um, at the new camp. Uh, I think it was hard for people to visualise him staying much beyond the summer anyway. Um, even if Leeds stayed up, he feels like the one who might go. Um, with Phillips, is slightly different. They are going to have to agree a new contract with him if they stay up. He's got two years left, and you get into that kind of dodgy period where. You know that if it runs on much longer, the value value of the player diminishes, and you, you have an asset that's worth nothing like what what you should be getting for him. Um, but likewise, if if they are a championship club, I I just don't see how that fits with Philip's vision of where he wants to go and his ambition of the level that that he wants to to play at. I think it would be nigh on impossible to convince somebody like him that it was a good thing for him to be going back to to championship grounds. Yeah, I know one club that are definitely very interested in in Calvin. <laughs> Apparently Phillips, so, yeah. It's a bit, a bit ambitious. Um, join the yeah. queue, mate. Um, yeah. And uh, Andy, I wanted to ask you as well, because Burnley did get their wallet out in January and bought all seven foot of Valt Veghorst. And, and, you know, a typical Sean Dyche signing was impressive in his first couple of games. A lot of people were excited about what he was going to do. It kind of hasn't worked out. But what is going to happen with someone like that and a lot of the other squad who, you mentioned the, the age, but a lot of them are kind of in limbo where some of them are actually probably at championship level and some of them aren't. And it's going to be a bit of a transition regardless of what happens to the team. Andy's smiling because he knows that if they were to go down, they're probably in the most fortunate position of the three teams. Well, it, it, it's really interesting with Burnley in that sort of, they don't have those sort of massive 40 40 million pound, 50 million pound players that that sort of loads of clubs will probably be sniffing around. They've got a collection of players you would you would expect would probably or would like to move on, like to Nick Pope. Um, you know, he wants to he wants to be in that England squad for the World Cup and can he do that by playing in the championship? I'm not sure. Um so it, you know that's that you've got like Maxwell Corne, I mean Val Vegost you mentioned, um a really interesting sort of sort of transition he's had and that as you mentioned he came in did really well and I think one of the biggest frustrations from the fan base was that Burnley sort of went away from what he does best in that he's while physically is very similar to Chris Wood in terms of height and etc Chris Wood was very much a, someone who liked to get in, involved in the aerial duels and he liked to run the channels whereas Vegos despite his size isn't that impressive in the air and he wants the ball to feet and Burnley sort of initially sort of played that way, but then went away from it and sort of went back to thinking Vegos was a bit like Chris Wood, I guess. And he sort of he'd started to come back into the, the since Dice went, they started using him more. He was playing better. He didn't play well against Wofford and, and was you know was brought off. And he didn't look too happy about that. But Vegos is an, is an example that he came to to Burnley. One of the main reasons was the attraction of the Premier League because he wants to make the the Dutch. World Cup squad and and so I think from discussions he'd had around that the Premier League was seen as right go and prove yourself there and that gives you the best chance to you know to to to, to make the squad so you know he I, I doubt he wants to be playing in the Championship next season. Um, there's, there's other elements. I mean, Burnley have got ten players out of contract this summer um, and have done they've agreed no new deals with any of them yet, um, which is bizarre. Um, there was an expectation that you know. Around, I guess around December, January, some would be done because you you're looking at like Ben Me is out of contract. Um, James Harkowski made his intentions clear; he was going to leave anyway. He that he made that clear sort of last season. Um, he wanted to move on. Matty Vidra, I think, is another who's going to go. But then you've still got eight players, and the problem is some of them are sort of your squad players who 
you know, who might fill in every now and again, but aren't your, your number one starters. Um, so there's, but then you have got like Ben Me, and how, how have you not tied him down to a new deal? It is is the questions you have that you have to ask, and so I think in our division, there's, there's the likelihood is that Burnley are going to go through quite a quite an evolution of the squad. Whether that's through just the players who are out of contract and not renewing them, um, and and probably some of their futures will depend on what division Burnley are in as to whether he decide, oh yeah, we'll, we'll keep this fella or we'll try and you know bring someone younger in because a lot of those players are also the ones who are getting older. Um, or you know, if you're also going to be potentially, if you go down selling the likes of Maxwell Cornet, you know Dwight McNeil, you would imagine, given sort of the the boost in form that he might have attracted a few more suitors who who've seen what he can do, um, because his his sort of value and in the interest has has no doubt declined because of, of sort of his you know his form just he, he sort of plateaued. He was he was on this brilliant trajectory and he has plateaued, and it, you know he's been frustrated with that and. No one's quite been able to work out exactly why, but then you see him in the last few games, and he's, you know, he's looked like the Dwight McNeil who was who was bursting onto the scene, and you know, was an England youth international. Um, but then you also have the ownership side of it, and that they, you know, Burnley were a club run without deaths for so many years, run very sensibly. So that's good in terms of there is the contracts that are in place are, you know, you will have the relegation, you know, wage cuts, etc., and and no doubt there'll be release clauses in there. Um, I mean, for example, Chris Wood had one which was sort of buried into a contract that that was, you know, that Newcastle triggered and, and everyone sort of went, hold on a second, where did that come from? Um, so I'm sure those those things have been put in place. The diff, the difficulty for Burnley is they were taken over by LK Capital and the way the was a leverage buyout, so they are now in debt um, and, you know, a pretty significant, you know, amount of debt. Um, we haven't, the club haven't released the official accounts, so we're not, the picture isn't quite, you know, clear on exactly what the situation will be, but it's more long term that because you, you think that they should be able to with player sales and etc. And because a lot of their revenue is TV revenue, so that's all going to go. But you would imagine parachute payments and, and player sales would probably be able to get them through a year. The problem becomes if that if they don't come straight back up, then what happens? And if they're down for a number of years, how that affects it and how that changes things. Um, the hope, of course, is that they stay in the Premier League and uh, they'll be able to, I would imagine, more sensibly evolve that squad. Um, they'll probably, you know, look at who they are letting go and, and be able to retain more some some of the players who might may not have wanted to stay if they were in the Championship. Um, but yeah, it, it, there's loads of different ways that Burnley's sort of summer could go, and it, very, it feels very dependent on where whether that's in the whether they are in the Premier League or the Championship. Yeah, it feels a bit Crystal Palace if Burnley does stay up. A chance to really rebuild and try, try and create something different. That's obviously what Palace did 12 months ago. To finish then, dreaded prediction times. Phil, what are you saying? Um, I'm, as, I'm as worried as I've been all season. I, I'm, I'm not going to say that Leeds are going to go. I think they've still got... I still feel like the, it's it's an even chance across all three clubs. I, I, there's nothing at all to say that Everton and Burnley aren't going to hit the wall again. There's nothing at all to say that Leeds aren't going to get points from these next four games. Um, but I wouldn't be putting my mortgage on this at all. I think have it, it, it's strange that under Marsh, having gathered gathered, you know, I think it was eleven points, eleven points from five games, and you know, at this time of the season, in, in these circumstances. That would normally t- see you right. 
you know that would normally yeah. give you the breathing space that you needed um but suddenly you know it's a it's a small gap to everyone who have a game in hand and and they are seriously in harm's way Paddy? i change my mind on this just about every week and that, that's probably because Burnley just managed to pull nine points from nine out of nowhere and Leeds were on a good run before the Manchester City game. I still think the the, the way the fans at Ellen Road responded to that defeat shows that they're not done yet as 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 a side and they're still in the scrap. So I've I've changed my mind regularly from the from after Burnley where I was thinking oh, Everton are definitely gone. I can't see how they get out of it with this really difficult fixture list. Even on Saturday when Burnley kind of scored those two quick goals again I'm back to thinking Everton Everton had probably gone here they need to get something from Chelsea but whenever we get to that point there is a result and there is a result that changes things and that's not just the case with Everton by the way I'll say it with Leeds as well when Leeds went away to to Wolves and somehow won in that the, the most ridiculous game of football I've seen for a good while at Wolves when Burnley beat Everton despite Everton leading 2-1 for long spells. There's always a result that changes things. There are so many shifts. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of back to thinking positively about Everton and back to thinking that they, they, they should just have enough. But I, I still says don't put your mortgage on anything because there'll be another, at least one more twist to, to go, if, if, if not more than that. Pad, Paddy was saying there about walking into the press room at Burnley and thinking Everton are relegated, and I reckon every all three clubs have had that feeling at some stage. I I think Definitely. it was kind of setting in at Leeds for the first time on Saturday that feeling of we, we are in serious trouble here, and I'm, I imagine there've been periods where Burnley assumed that they or people who support Burnley assumed that they were on the slide, and and like Paddy says, there'd be moments where Everton thought it was it was coming for them as well. So we're we're kind of all in it together. We we had it on Saturday. We we had it on Saturday when Burnley scored those two quick goals. I was on my way to a party and just scrolled through. The last I'd heard, Watford were one 0 up. Scrolled through and there's just loads of Evertonian tweets. Right, we're relegated. We're relegated. And I thought, well, that's that's brilliant. I can't wait for this party now. I'm in a great, I'm a great mood going to this. But then, 24 hours later, everything shifts again, and this is what I mean. It just, yeah, it's, it's relentless. It's relentless. Leeds pick up points when you least expect it. Burnley do. I would not be surprised if Leeds got something against that Chelsea outfit, particularly with Chelsea um, in playing the way they did on Sunday at Everton and and with the cup final. Equally, Leicester. Everton play Leicester on Sunday, and Leicester are in. Rome on on Thursday night in the Europa Conference League, or all better off. It, it's going to be. I I think it. I, I think it's going to be crazy. I think it'll go down to the final day. Yeah, definitely go down to the final day. Andy, I feel like you're the most relaxed of the three panelists today. I, <laughs> definitely not. I mean, I was at a wedding on Sunday, so I had the opposite of of Paddy in that. Saturday happens and I was like, here we go, wedding Sunday. I'm going to get. You know, I'm going to have a great time. And then I was sat eating the meal, sort of keeping my eye on on the Everton score, and then saw that rolling, and then suddenly like, oh no. There we go. I feel sick. I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was one of them. Maybe I'm not going to have a, as good a time as I thought. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's it's just it's one of them. You just can't call. I mean, it, like these, two, I've had I've had those moments of, of feeling like Burnley were gone. There was there was Brentford away when that felt massive, just in terms of I think keeping Brentford in it, but also it was a good chance for Burnley to to boost their chances, and then they get beat there, and then you watch Everton score in the 99th minute, and then Wolves. Score, sorry, Leeds scored in the 94th minute and you just think, why do 90th minute or other time exist in football? Because um, I'm fed up of <laughs> other teams scoring other time goals to, to get points. Um, Burnley haven't had that, so I'm hoping you know, that might happen in the next four. Um, Watford was, was somewhere near that, but you know, a nice sort of 94th minute winner against Villa 
would be nice. Sorry, Dan. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's 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 one of them. I think it's it's impossible to call. I think Burnley's home form has picked up. Um, you know, I think they've won three on the bounce there, and and those two against Villa and on the final day against Newcastle feel significant. I think if they can win both of them, and and it's a big if because God knows what's going to happen, but that would take them to forty, and you feel like forty might just be enough. But equally, you know, it's generally been sort of thirty-seven, thirty-six, hasn't it, over the years, and that doesn't look like it's going to be enough this time. I mean, there was a feeling on on the Saturday nights, I think, inside Burnley's dressing room that one more win might do it. Take them to thirty-seven, then Everton win, and suddenly that 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 I think that feeling was scrapped immediately because thirty-seven. I don't think is going to be enough. Um, it's going to be one of those years. I think where you're going to need you know forty to 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 remain because of how each team seems to be coming into form. Um, the only I think the only concern, Bernie, wise for me is does this bounce? Does this does this bounce they've they've had under Mike Jackson have an end, and and will that come? too soon. Results have been so good. Can they continue that um, for the rest of the season for four more games or are they going to hit a wall and then is it going to go, you know, badly wrong? Um, hopefully not, but, you know, it's God knows what's going to happen. <laughs> Essentially, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> Flows down to us. No one here understands what a prediction is. <laughs> what are you saying? We've all got splinters. We've all got splinters. We don't want to be the one to say the side's going to stay up and then this gets replayed yeah, on Twitter exactly. in, in months to come. It's a full it, It's so hard to call. I mean, I think I was like Andy. I think before following that Burnley result and before that Everton-Chelsea game kicked off, I thought, for the first time, I thought Everton are in real trouble because this whole time I've thought Burnley will not be good enough to get out of this and the dice sacking will be the final nail in the coffin. And then the run that they've been on, that result of the week uh, on Saturday, I just thought Everton are in trouble, but that flipped the script. So I've got splinters as well. I'm joining the splinter gang. I would say to Phil, though, I don't think Leeds are in the mix for me. I think I think it's a... You don't? Uh, uh, for some reason... I just think it's going to be a Burnley Everton face off. I don't know why, but I, well, I think hope, Leeds are going to be okay. I'm hoping you're Nostradamus, and um, <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll just get on the beers for the next three or four weeks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it'll be fine. <laughs> I hope I'm right. I hope I'm giving you a very uh, a very calm and cool couple of weeks. But I don't know why. I mean, they're obviously right in it. I don't know why you think you know, that. To be honest, I don't. I don't know why, but I just. I just feel like they're going to be okay. Oh, that's the confident voice I needed to hear. Definitely. <laughs> I've said Everton for months. I've said Burnley will get out of it. Everton are in trouble. I've seen this dance before with Villa, so I know what it looks like. But now I'm sorry, Phil. I'm starting to think it might be Leeds. I'm starting to think it's going to be Leeds. Mm. I mean, they've got they've got some tough games, but Arsenal, I feel like... I know we have to wrap this soon, Dan, but I do feel like... Leeds are the kind of team that can disrupt Arsenal and just, and Arsenal are so inconsistent that I feel like they can shake yeah. that. I, th- I think this is it. There could be something in the Arsenal game. There could easily be something in the Chelsea game. There's no reason that they can't win Brighton at home. There's no reason and yeah, that they the can't last win two, Brentford away. Yeah, um, Brighton and Brentford are quite nice ways to finish off the season, in my opinion, as well. Yeah, it just depends how much pressure is on those games when they yeah. when they come around. I, it would it would help Leeds enormously to take anything from these next two games. It would it would make a, a big difference. Um, and we're crossing everything. Yeah, I said before we started this podcast, I said whoever turns up to the Zoom last, that's who's going to go. And it was Padder. 
So, you know, who knows? <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe it'll be that. Thanks ever so much to all three of you for joining us today. I've really enjoyed talking to you and hopefully I won't be involved in this discussion anytime soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Still time for us to point listeners in the direction of some of the other great articles that are up on the site right now. Flo, what have you been reading? Well, I'm Nancy's Frostick's biggest fan at the moment um, because I was chatting about a piece she did last week um, about little Matt Smith and and this week I'm talking about two that that she did. Saturday was the last day of the League One season, obviously got the playoffs on the horizon, but she did a really great kind of piece where she talked about um, what was up for grabs, what the permutations were heading into the afternoon and then kind of took you through how it all unravelled, how it all went down on Saturday because there were lots of kind of ups and downs and who missed out of the playoffs who got promoted who got relegated so that's a nice one if you haven't sort of caught up on all of that and then focusing specifically on Wigan uh, they got promoted um, as champions from League One and obviously a lot of people may remember not long ago that they went to administration they've got new owners now Uh, they're back in the championship and um, Nancy's done a brilliant piece about their incredible um, revival. I mean, they only just about survived in League One last season and now they're back into the championship. Uh, Phenomenal couple of years from where they were from going into administration. Brilliant manager, Liam Richardson, really good squad as well. I'm excited to see how they get on in the championship. And yeah, just a really nice story to know that when a club does get into financial trouble, there like is a, a positive and exciting future ahead of them. And we've obviously seen a, seen a lot of that over the last couple of years. And we've seen clubs have to kind of re, rebirth as, as Phoenix um, clubs. We saw that with, with Macclesfield and, and, and Bury. But um, yeah, great to see Wigan succeeding. Yeah, I'm sticking with the relegation theme that we've covered in this podcast, Michael Bailey's piece on where it's all gone wrong for Norwich. I mean, I don't think you can pinpoint it to one thing because I think quite a lot of things have gone wrong for the Canaries. But yeah, their fans, you know why? They must be a bit sick of it, up and down, up and down, a bit like, a bit like Fulham. Fulham and Norwich just seem to swap places every season. It must be getting a bit frustrating for Norwich fans now to, to go up. No, you're working within a budget, but then the same thing kind of keeps happening. Yeah, it's a bizarre situation and that's kind of... I'm intrigued to see how Fulham and, and potentially Bournemouth get on because they they've got very good squads and and maybe they'll be able to establish themselves a little establish themselves a bit better than Norwich have this season. But it is a weird situation to be in, and the, and for the fans as well. Like that's why, as a fan of, of of a Championship club, I feel like I would much rather see my team in a division where they're going to be winning at least maybe fifty percent of their games than watching them lose. 70 80 percent of them and never really get that enjoyment because especially if you're a season stick holder and if you go to away games that's a lot of money that you're going to be going 
uh, and, and spending to watch your team and not really getting much joy or satisfaction from it. So um, I think probably it would be fair to say a few of their fans and maybe quite a lot of their fans will be enjoying next season because they actually might see their team win a few matches. Well, I was at, obviously, Villa sent Norwich down on, on Saturday and the away end, the emptiest away end I've seen all season. The whole top tier is usually full. That it was completely empty. was wasn't even opened for, for, for the away fans. So that tells you that there's probably a little bit of frustration there. Yeah, and uh, on very unfortunate uh, uh, shots of a very sad-looking Delia Smith as well in the in the director's box at that game. Um, a final reminder for me as well that you can read every article we've mentioned and so much more by signing up to the Athletic. It's just one pound a month for the first six months. So head over to theathletic.com forward slash football pod to get started. At least when Delia goes home after a loss, she probably has some nice food. Jesus, you know was, what? Caro Road really enjoyed Delia's lasagna that I had there uh, when I went and covered an England women game there. So shout out Delia's lovely lasagna at Caro Road. Well done, Delia. Thanks again to our guests, Patrick Boyland, Phil High, and Andy Jones for joining us today. And of course, thank you all of you for listening as well. Get involved in the comments section. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And why not leave us a review on Apple Podcast or Spotify if you have the time. This was the Athletic Football Podcast. Chappers will be here on this feed on Thursday with the latest episode of the Business of Sport podcast. And we're going to be back, as always, next week. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.